Last Easter, I was in bed watching myself from a service we'd preached on Thursday night, and this room was empty. This is so exciting to see God's people back where they belong. And so powerful to be backstage and listening to the worship and your hearts. And so here we go. Acts 4.12 says, There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. All right, there's, there's the message. The reason we celebrate the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is it's the resurrection that gives proof to all the other prophecies. It's the resurrection that proves that Jesus was the Son of God. It's the resurrection that proves that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. It's the resurrection that proves that my sins are forgiven. It's His resurrection that proves that if I accept Jesus, I too will be resurrected and overcome death. And so I don't know if it's for one of you here, one of you watching online, but our goal today is that at least one of you would get it. At least one of you would say, you know what? I've heard about Jesus. I knew about Jesus. Maybe I didn't know about Jesus, but now I know there's a God who loves me and offers me forgiveness. The resurrection is proof that everything Jesus did was true. That's what we're here to celebrate. Let me show you this. Uh, Satan is very tricky and people are very gullible. I had a bunch of other words lined up, but that's the one that I went with. And I saw on Facebook, and I'm sorry I didn't capture it, um, but here's, here's, they were quoting this verse. Revelation 7, 9, here's what it says. There were people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue standing before God. They had that verse put in the middle of this picture. <clears throat> because that just looks good. It seems amenable. The problem is, if this is true, it destroys everything that Jesus died for. Because Jesus said, I am the only way. There is only one way to heaven. No other person gets saved except through Jesus Christ. See, they took that passage. If you read Revelation 7, 9, what it says is there were people from all over the world, every language, every tribe, that will believe in Jesus Christ. It is not a picture of any religion goes. Buddha said, I don't know how to get to heaven. Muhammad said, I don't know how to get to heaven. Those are direct quotes. Jesus said, I'm the way. Come follow me. I'll show you the way back to the Father's house. How many of you saw the, uh, the Egyptian parade yesterday? Anybody watch it? Oh my. Okay. Go home and Google the Egyptian golden mummies parade. Yester seriously, yesterday they moved, they, they've been building this new monster museum in Cairo, and they moved all of the ancient mummies, the kings and queens, they each had their own limo, and it was a big parade, and they moved all of the mummies from one museum to the other, orchestras and fanfare and ancient Egyptians, and Amazing, amazing, all right? Maybe the greatest archaeological uh, event of our, of our time. It, it truly was amazing. But I found it interesting that the Egyptian government that's been working on this for three years, three years we've been waiting for them to move those mummies, and they chose Easter weekend. You see, every one of those kings and queens, when they lived on the earth, 
every single one of them claimed to be and were treated as if they were God. Every single one of them. That's what Moses confronted years ago. And if I can put it to you in simple terms, all of their gods are still dead and our Jesus is still alive. That's, that's the message that we're here to celebrate. Now, I did learn a long time ago that Satan never misses a church service. And I'm sure he never misses a church service on Easter. And our job is to make him really uncomfortable. Just worship worship and pray. But I guarantee you Satan's here because he, he hates what we do. So, so he's here. And I don't know if you guys heard this story, but he actually showed up physically at a church down in West Palm last week. Anybody, anybody see that story? Crazy. Satan shows up in church, thunder, lightning, screaming, screeks, all kinds of crazy stuff. Everybody bails. The pastor's out the door. The elders are out the door. The deacons are out the door. Everybody leaves screaming. Satan walks up to the front, stench and fire. One lady sitting on the front row, just calmly sitting there. Satan says, so I don't scare you? She looked at him and she said, I've been married to your brother for 55 years. <laughs> okay, let's get to work. <clears throat> so in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 52 and 53 tells you everything about the crucifixion. Isaiah wrote it about 640 years before Jesus is born. 300 years before crucifixion is even brought into Rome. And he tells us every detail when Messiah comes, what will happen. And the crazy thing is, if you go back, and I'm sure you have, if you go back and read the ancient rabbis from the time of Isaiah all the way up to Jesus, they all believed that Isaiah 52 and 53 were about the Messiah that was to come. But after Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies, they stopped talking about it. In fact, if you go to a synagogue today, anywhere in the world, what I'm about to read to you will never be read. They skip these two chapters. If you'll stand out of respect for God's word. Isaiah, 640 years before Jesus is born, says this. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up. There's your picture of the cross. And he will be highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, hated, and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom... Men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him 
stricken by God, smitten by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. You can be seated. Now, again, there's probably a dozen prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in this one little section that Isaiah wrote 640 years before it happened. But what is the core of this is that Jesus took what we deserved. The, the physical punishment, that should have been ours. He wasn't disobedient. He didn't break the law. We did. And yet he took our beating upon himself. There's so many things there. It talks about the fact that, that he will not be esteemed. He, nobody can recognize him. See, people want to argue about this. This has been, uh, maybe it's an American thing. It's probably a global thing. Well, was Jesus white or was he brown or, or was he black or, or was he uh, in between? Or you know what he was? He was marred so badly that they couldn't even tell he was a man. He had been beaten so severely, whipped so much, so much blood, the sinews and the flesh were ripped to pieces, that he was so unrecognizable, they couldn't even tell he was a man. And we're arguing about what color he was. The blood was for everybody. The blood that Jesus shed was for every country, every nation, every tribe, every language. He took the punishment that we all deserved. And yet we still have these Pollyanna pictures. And listen, I like crosses. I like gold crosses. I like beautiful things. But we have so missed the picture of what the cross looked like. And listen, I like to celebrate the resurrection, don't you? In fact, you ain't heard nothing yet. Where do you hear the last song? All right? Just buckle in. All right? But if you don't understand why Jesus died and why he rose again, then you don't understand the beauty of this day. He paid your price. He paid my price. He paid everybody's price. And I'm going to say some things in a minute that are going to make some people uncomfortable. But listen, Jesus died for every sinner that would ever live. However, you must admit that you are a sinner and you must accept the price that Jesus paid. Or you can pay it yourself. Those are the options. But I don't want to stand before Jesus and have to pay for my own sins. Jesus paid them for me. Aren't you glad? I don't know if you're, very few of you are as whacked out as I am, but I, I have started binge-watching um, graveyard tours. All right, not the spooky stuff, but they do like Hollywood graves. Does anybody do this but me? Okay, it's all right. Very secure in who I am, it's okay. But they'll go into these Hollywood cemeteries and they'll, they'll say, oh, this person was, you know, a, a, an actor back in the 1920s and they'll tell you their story and it's, it's pretty captivating. So it's, it's a lot of history. Or they'll do a baseball tour and they'll take you to all the sites where famous ball players and, and, uh, it's just, it's, it's a good history show. But what I have taken notice of as I've been watching is the things that people think are important. In 1945, he won an Oscar for, and I'm thinking, well, nobody cares now. Why would you care in eternity? That's what you wanted to be known for? After all the years you lived, 
in 1945, you won an Oscar for something. Here's a picture of Cy Young, greatest pitcher to ever play baseball. There's his grave. It says he won 511 baseball games. That's awesome. You're going to stand before God? Hey, God, did you know I won 511 baseball games? I wonder, when you go before God, what are you going to talk about? You see, either you're... Well, let's start with this. If you're not saved, if you need to accept Jesus, that's where it's got to start. Come over here. Banner says decision. There'll be people there to talk to. How do I become a Christian? How do I accept Jesus? If you're online, there's a button you push. I have decided. But I want to talk to the rest of you right now that are Christians. What does it mean for us? Well, Jesus said it pretty clearly, didn't he? Take up your cross and follow me. Too many Christians say, oh, I'm saved, I accepted Jesus, I've been baptized, and no thought about what do I do now? What do I do now? How do I serve God? How do I give to God? How do I move the kingdom forward? How do I help my neighbors find Jesus? See, the whole point of being a Christian is that you've said, I'm going to live so that other people get drawn into the kingdom. For the first time in American history, we have less than 50% of the American population going to any kind of religious institution at all. And I dare say we're in the high end down here in the south. You go up into the northeast or the northwest, it's about 6%. We've lost our culture. The only thing we can do is get back into our culture and influence it with the light of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to anybody? Here's what Jesus, here's what it says about Jesus. It says in Luke uh, 23, 21, there it is, maybe 22. Um, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking him and beating him. Luke, just matter of fact, it, it, it almost doesn't sound right. They began mocking him and beating him. But you don't see the blood. You don't see the pain. You don't hear the screaming. But all of that, all right, the resurrection that we celebrate today is proof that what he went through was for us. Now understand that when Jesus is in the garden and he's praying and drops of blood are coming out of his eyes, he's praying with such intensity, it is not because he's afraid of the physical pain. I'm not minimizing it. It was horrible. His body was destroyed because of his love for us. But that's not what he was praying about. He was praying about taking all of our sins. All of your sexual sins, all of my sexual sins, all of our thoughts, all of our deeds, all of the bad words, everything that you and I have ever done and thought, every person that ever lived on the earth, God piled all of them on Jesus at the cross. He paid the price. And he also took the cross for us. See, you and I deserve to be on the cross, but our problem was we don't qualify. Hebrews 4 said that Jesus was tempted in every way, just like we were, except what? He was without sin. See, nobody else can say that. Buddha can't say that. Muhammad can't say that. No rabbi can say that. Only one man claimed to be without sin, and he's the one that paid the price on the cross. As 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Jesus is our Passover lamb. See, on this weekend... 
the Jewish world would sacrifice a lamb for the sins of the world. They would cut the lamb's throat and the blood would drip all over the altar of God. And inside, inside that golden box, what was inside there? Anybody know? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And God would look down at the Ten Commandments and see all the sin of mankind. Because we've all broken the law. But the blood would be sprinkled on top so that God would see the sacrifice before he saw the law. When Jesus comes, Jesus is our ultimate Passover lamb. He died once and for all to bring forgiveness to anyone and everyone who would accept Jesus as their Savior. That's the story that we're here to celebrate is the price that he paid. But let's be honest, in our culture today, we don't like to talk about sin. In fact, most people can't talk about sin because they have already ruled out the whole idea of sin. And if you don't understand sin, you're never going to grab for a Savior. If you think you're good, I mean, the question is good compared to what? My, or my dad would have said good for what, but that's okay. If you don't understand that you're a sinner, you'll never understand how desperately you need a Savior. See, we live in a society that has lost its bearings on everything. We, we have no idea. We're, 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 teaching, we're teaching and accepting things that 30 years ago would not even been considered. When you get into the, the sexual world of homosexuality and transsexual this, and we're teaching it to five-year-olds. Let me ask a question. Would you give a five-year-old a cigarette? How about a, how about a, how about a bottle of Jack Daniels? Why not? Because they're not in any position to be doing that. I got an idea. All right? Maybe you can share this with the school board. What if we taught our children how to read and write and do math? These are things that I think about sometimes at night. Um, but you see, if you live in a culture where everything is right, and then what, what you've brought in is the new right, now that becomes the ultimate right. And anybody that disagrees with that, you're a horrible human being. And morality just gets flipped on its head. The truth is, no matter what you're caught up in, Jesus died for you. But you got to say... Look, I read the book, and what I'm doing is sin. And I've got to repent. And we don't talk about that much in our society anymore. It's like, I want the church to accept me. It's not the church's job to accept you. It's your job to repent so that God accepts you. That's the whole purpose of the gospel message. Listen, I can pat you on the back and say, hey, it's all good. Have a good time in hell. Or I can say, listen... Let me tell you what Jesus did for you. Now listen, don't try to clean yourself up first. That's not how it works. You accept Jesus and then you let Jesus and his team of professionals help clean you up. You don't, you don't have to get everything right. You need to get right with Jesus and then he'll start the rest of the process. And there's a whole room full of sinners here that will testify that that's how God did it for them. Am I right, church? But you know what? When you look at Jesus, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Remember that story? Check out these numbers. 
Jesus fed 5,000. But by the next morning, there was only 500 there. They followed him after the lunch. He only had 12 disciples stick with him. When it came time to serious prayer, there was only three. And by the time he got to the cross, there was only one. Because the tougher things got, the more people bailed. I'm here to tell you, church, that things are going to get tougher in the American culture. It is our job to hold out the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not exclusionary. It is open to everyone. However, there is still one name under heaven by which you must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. First, or John 1, 3 and 4. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. Well, no wonder our culture's walking around in darkness if nobody knows about Jesus and nobody knows about the crucifixion and nobody knows about the resurrection. No wonder people wander around in darkness. Maybe my favorite verse in this whole passage is it says, when Messiah comes, he will shut the mouths of kings. Can you imagine? People that have been kings and corporate this and corporate that and CEOs and queens and prime ministers. And it says, when Messiah steps onto the stage, they will say nothing. They will bow a knee because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know who the one is that's here today that needs to hear this. But Jesus took your beating and my beating. He took your cross and my cross. He took your sins and my sins. He took all the transgressions. He took it all on himself at the cross. Let me finish with this story. Four ball players. Maybe you've heard of them. At this time last year, Tom Brady was a free agent. Leonard Fournette was cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars because they said he can't play ball. Antonio Brown was in jail. And Gronkowski was in the World Wrestling Federation. All four of those men scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl to win the Super Bowl for Tampa Bay. God can change you. God can change circumstances. Here's the question. A year from now, where will you be? How about next week? Either you say, well, this is the lot I have. This is where I am. This is just who I am. I guess I'm bound for hell. Or I guess I'm going to be a Christian that never does anything. Or you can say, you know what? Today is the beginning of something brand new. Because I finally understand the price that was paid for me. I know what my calling is. I know what my commission is. And I'm ready to go. If you're the one, push the button. Come up here. Last night, a a lady gave her life to Jesus. It was so powerful. She wanted to do a private baptism. And some of her friends convinced her to do it publicly so that others could see and realize that they need the same Jesus. See what happens in baptism? You go under the water and you're connected to the death of Jesus. And you come up out of the water and you're connected to the resurrected Jesus. And that's for everybody. That's for everybody. All right? So, it's not an exclusionary message. I want you to know that Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. 
But when he came back out of that grave, it was proof that everything I told you was true. I did take away your sins. Come and follow me. Lord, I pray that we'll get it today. Somebody here will grab a hold of this message. Somebody will connect with you that never has. There's somebody that came because they were forced to come. Work in their life. Somebody's watching because they're supposed to. It's Easter Sunday. Lord, do a work in their lives. You said that if we lifted you up, you would draw all men to the cross. And so today we lift you and you alone up, Jesus, as the name that's above every name. 